What is up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Getaway Day. I am Mason. He's Gautham. And we are back for episode 37. This is our first episode of the off season. Uh, we took a week off between, or roughly a week and a half off between the World Series and Wednesday, or this Wednesday, our new time, um, just to kind of decompress from the season and start getting our uh, our mindset for the off season ahead. And Gautham, how was your week and a half off? Uh, good. Uh, it's been a while since we podcasted because we were doing so many podcasts during the uh, playoffs and everything, but. It's nice to get back to it. Oh yeah, I I don't know that I remember how to do this, so <laughs> we'll learn together, we'll, relearn together. Yeah, we'll just we'll figure it out. So, uh, before we get into today's episode, though, if you enjoy our podcast, have enjoyed it in the past uh, or whatever, please subscribe on your favorite podcasting app or YouTube to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. You can find us on pretty much any podcasting app you can possibly use. Um, just search for getaway day, uh, colon, colon, semicolon, colon, colon, right? Semicolon has a comma. <laughs> this is not a grammar podcast. Sorry. Uh, getaway day, colon, MLB podcast. Um, and then if you're, uh, listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review and let us know what you think. We also have a Facebook and Twitter account, uh, that is at getaway day pod that, um, uh, we, uh, tweet a lot of information about the podcast uh, whenever we are going to record a new episode, post a new episode, uh, are going to open some baseball cards, etc. Um, so make sure to follow us there and just in general, just let us know what you think of the podcast. Um, if you haven't noticed, uh, if you're watching the uh, video version of the podcast, things look a little bit different today. And there is a very good reason for that. So we've been, well, 36 episodes over the course of a full season. And I don't know about you, Gautham, but I am very much enjoying doing this podcast. Um, and I thought it was time for a little bit of a glow up. So I, I think the uh, picture of the back of my Fernando Tatis jersey has uh, served us well as the logo for the podcast. But I thought it was time for something new. What do you say we unveil it for everybody right now? Let's do it. Right. So our new logo, uh, created by Evie Brocious, um, uh, is here on the screen if you're watching us. And if you're not, we will be, uh, post this to our Facebook and Twitter uh, for anyone listening on a podcasting app. But it is a gorgeous logo. Absolutely love it. Incredibly classic. Um I I don't have enough good words to say about it, but I, I if you guys love or like our new logo, let us know and uh, we'll tag Evie in the um, Facebook and Twitter um, postings there. Let her know if you like her work because it is a really really good logo. Um, so yeah, thanks. So Evie. this is now, yeah, thank you, Evie. So this is the new branding for Getaway Day. So we will be uh, pushing that out to all of our social media accounts here in the next couple of days. Um, but for now, we have some podcasting to do. All right. So uh, since it's been a week and a half, we've had a lot of stuff happen that we have uh, not talked about. 
Um, so we uh, kind of ignored a lot of stuff around managers, uh, potential options, qualifying offers that we're going to get uh, extended to players. So let's take a look into that. Gowie, you want to kick us off with some uh, um, information on the managers? What what jobs became available this year? Um, just kind of catch everyone up there. Yeah, so the first one was the Padres, Jace Tingler. This one came out a few days before the, the end of the regular season um, that Jace Tingler would not be back with the Padres. Uh, Luis Rojas, well, not uh, he lost his job with the Mets, and then Mike Schilt, in the surprising move of the offseason, was also let go by the Cardinals. Yeah, I uh, when Jace Tingler got let go in the offseason or in the during the regular season, sorry, um, that one was a little bit of a shock to me, uh, just because he'd only been two years. Um, and he'd done a pretty solid job, but they didn't make it to the postseason this year. And I think the ownership just knows that they need a guy who can make the most of this team because this team is way too talented to go like 500. So, um, but yeah, Schilt, that was, it was a bit of a bombshell. I don't think anyone understood that at the time. Uh, it was for quote unquote, philosophical differences so um yeah so the cardinals moved on from schilt intending to keep the entire coaching staff meaning that there was probably some kind of a rift between the front office and the coaching staff and the way that mike schilt was operating um john moselock kind of came out and said a couple more things about it and kind of led us to believe that that's kind of what it was. Uh, Schilt is kind of more of a managed by feel guy. They wanted to go with more of a analytical approach. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, with Schilt, so, uh, I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of Schilt's managing style in general, but I definitely do not think that he deserved to lose his job. But it's one of those things where if your bosses don't really like you and you're kind of being an, an obstinate kind of person, then you're you're not going to be kept very long. And I guess that's pretty much what happened there. Yeah. The, the other thing that surprised me is, if I remember correctly, Mike Schilt had just got an extension. I don't think so. Like, I think he had one more year. He didn't? Right? Well, I, I thought that they had just extended him because he had one more year left. They gave him the extension, and then at the end of year meetings, they realized there was kind of a rift. Am I remembering I that he, incorrectly? I don't think he had an extension, but maybe. Oh, they were talking extension yeah. is what it was. So they went from talking extension to all of a sudden he's fired. And, and this is one that was not on anyone's radar um, until it happened, basically. Yeah, which left a huge hole in what I think is would probably be considered one of the premier franchises in major league baseball um this is the what the third time the cardinals have changed managers since 2011 so 10 years three managers that's very unlike the uh, anything the cardinals have ever done but yeah so um we have seen some managers get hired to fill these spots um the Cardinals ended up promoting uh, bench coach Ali Marmol um, to manager. 
and then hired Skip Schumacher uh, from the Padres to then take his place uh, as bench coach. So uh, first time manager for the Cardinals, Ali Marmol is, I can't remember the exact stat and I, I keep saying I'm going to look it up and then I keep forgetting to look it up. Uh, but he's like the, the second Dominican slash Dominican American co or uh, first year manager hired to a team that had won or that had a winning record the previous year, or it was some kind of weird stat, but it was essentially saying that the, the premier clubs haven't really gone with uh, a minority manager as a first-time manager really ever. Um, and so Alex Cora and then now um, Ali Marmol is kind of the first two guys to kind of break that glass ceiling. So we're kind of starting to see a little bit of a shift here and um, managerial hires and just representation across baseball. Yeah, completely agree. And so. we have definitely seen that managers who have been getting jobs are getting younger and younger, but it's also good to see now that they're coming from, from different backgrounds and the traditional like former players and just, you know, white guys. Yeah. And that's something that baseball has been uh, quote unquote trying to do for a long time. Um, the, the C league rule uh, required teams to, um, interview a minority candidate for front office positions and i think field manager right uh i'm not or was sure it about just manager. for any opening i think it was just front office but not 100 percent sure okay but yeah so they were required to interview a minority candidate but there was no sort of other stipulations around it as long as you had one guy in the room that qualified as a minority um, then you met the Seelig rule. I know they just uh, kind of modified the Seelig rule here in the last couple days. Um, I, you paid attention to that a little bit more than I did. But what was the what what was the new rule with that? It's like if you if you internally promote a uh, like a white can't or a white guy, you have to backfill him with a minority candidate. Yeah. So. I'll just read them out. So any club making an internal promotion for a senior baseball operations position must provide the commissioner's office with a succession plan for all of the club's senior baseball operations positions. That plan requires the club to include diverse individuals for future leadership positions. And then in the event of a non-diverse internal promotion, it's the commissioner's expectation that a diverse individual will be promoted or hired to a vacancy created by the promotion. Okay, so it the the one thing that that last set or that last kind of clause there uh, makes me wonder is so they're asking for a secession plan. So basically, as you promote one guy, you're going to promote the next guy to fill his spot, and etc. You're not necessarily going to go out and hire a new guy. Yep. So in that secession plan, you have to hire. To, to fill the new vacancy, you have to put in a minority candidate. It doesn't have to be for the exact first position that was vacated. So like with, uh, let's just say. So there's an actual example of, of what this, of this in effect. So the Rockies. Oh, there is? The Rockies, they Perfect. promoted Bill Schmidt from their interim to permanent GM. So uh, they, they've backfilled that position. Uh, with the person of color, Danny Montgomery, who was promoted to vice president and assistant GM of scouting. 
So okay. they basically so, created a position that kind of takes the spot that Schmidt is leaving. Okay. So the thing that I'm kind of curious about is if like Schmidt got promoted, they promoted uh, the director of scouting. I don't know who it was, but pretend he's a white guy. He gets promoted to Schmidt's old job. Or I, maybe Schmidt was the director of scouting. So that might not work. But anyway, um, and then his vacancy could be filled with a minority candidate, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so um, it's definitely an interesting rule. I, I kind of, I think I like it. Uh, we'll definitely get a lot more representation coming up. It, it's not going to make uh, massive changes in the immediate, um, like immediate future, but three, four, five years down the road, we'll start to see a lot more uh, diverse front offices as you start to see guys uh, kind of moving from club to club, guys getting promoted. Um, and it's, I think boardrooms are going to start to have a little bit of a different feel. So, yeah, it's it's nice to see that MLB is actually finally trying whenever they've been trying for years and it didn't change anything. But... Because since the Selig rule went into effect, isn't there only like one more minority guy in like leadership than there was before the Selig rule went into effect? Yeah. So from 2010 through 2017, the number of minorities in, in control of a club's baseball operations department increased by only one. Yeah. So you put a rule into effect that sounds good, does literally nothing. And I think now they're trying to fix that does literally nothing. And so this will definitely uh, definitely make some changes, and I'm kind of looking forward to see what happens here in the in the future. So I think but. that's a perfect segue into a team that may or may not be. I mean, they're definitely making changes. We're not sure if they're making the right changes, and that's the Mets, who finally concluded their GM search in hiring Billy Epler uh, yesterday. What do you think about that? I'm not sure, honestly. Um, So Billy Epler came from, uh, I don't think he had a job in baseball last year. I think he essentially had a year off. Um, But up until 2020, he was the GM of the Angels. Um, And he was uh, replaced by Perry Manassian. Did I get it right? Nailed it. Nailed it. Yes. Um, but yeah, so uh, from 15 to 20, he was the GM of the Angels, got replaced by Perry Manassian. Uh, kind of the big things that um, Epler had done with the Angels um, was bringing in uh, Shohei Otani, I think is probably the the single biggest thing he did for that franchise. Um, and then he brought in uh, guys like um, Anthony Rendon, Justin Upton, um Andrew Elton Simmons. Uh, there was one other kind of big, big contract that he gave out, but I can't remember who it was, but it was not one of the uh, good contracts. Um, so I've not really seen Epler in his role with the Angels, which working for Artie Moreno is probably really hard to do. I'll I'll just put that out there right now. Um but he didn't really do a very good job of building a team around Mike Trout. And so I'm not really sure that I trust him going into a dumpster fire like the Mets and making sense of everything. So that's kind of where I'm at. 
Plus, he was the last guy that hired Mickey Calloway, and the Mets really need to get out of that circle of people who had anything to do with any of those guys, from Zach Porter to Jared, no, Jared Porter, Zach Scott, Mickey Calloway. They need to clean house and get rid of anyone who was even remotely associated with those guys. Yeah, like Sandy Alderson, but but that's probably not going to be happening. Yeah. Yeah, and this whole Mets thing has really just been a, a debacle. I mean, it's been really like difficult for them to to fill this position, and I don't know, maybe it's just the way that it's been reported on, but it seems like they went in a lot of directions. They didn't really know exactly what they were looking for. Uh, a lot of people kind of turned them down, and um, here they are with... Uh, with Billy Epler and and that's not I, I don't necessarily think that Billy Epler is a bad hire because he is an experienced GM um he had a tough situation in um with the Angels of course but before he was with the Angels he was a pretty successful uh guy as a part of the front office of the Yankees so he's kind of well regarded yeah, he so he was the assistant to Cashman right right yeah yeah so so yeah and yeah so he's definitely got like um some good uh good experience in his past i just his recent history kind of gives me question marks with the way that the mets have been running i think the difference is he was in a bad situation with the angels a hundred percent i i don't think anyone that is in the gm role for the angels has got an easy job um it, it sounds like it would be a cakewalk because it's an L.A. team, but it hasn't really been that way ever. Um, when he was with the Yankees, the Yankees are kind of a well-oiled machine. So, like, he did a great job there, but he had support. And now he's going into a situation with the Mets where it took him this long to get a GM because I think they were trying to hire a VP of baseball ops first. And every single person they interviewed for that or tried to interview – either turned him down or the club didn't let them interview. I think because they said, don't let me interview. But, and so now they finally get going towards a GM and Billy Epler's available. They get him, but I'm not sure that this is putting him in a much better uh, opportunity for success than he was with, with the angels especially since there's no VP of baseball ops. So Sandy Alderson is going to be operating in that capacity next year. So yeah, it's kind of a dumpster fire of a team, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. They got a lot of work to do. So, but now they've got a GM, so they need a manager, but who's left? Because we haven't even talked about the other guys who've accepted jobs. Um, So Ali Marmol got the Cardinals job. Uh, Dusty Baker re-upped with the Astros for one year. Aaron Boone re-upped with the Yankees for four years? Three Three years, years, I think. Three years. And then, shocker of the offseason, kind of. Like, if you really, really pay attention, you probably knew he was available. But Bob Melvin had one year left on his contract with the A's, and the A's just let him go. And he is now the manager of the Padres. So Melvin's off the table. Baker's off the table. Boone's off the table. Luis Rojas joined the Yankees as the third base coach. He's off the table. Skip Schumacher, who was 
um, interviewing for managerial positions. And a lot of reporters have been saying, like, he's going to be one of the next new managers. He joined the Cardinals as the bench coach. Jace Tingler joined the Twins as a bench coach. He's off the table. Who's left? That's a great question. I really don't know. It could be Buck Showalter if they want uh, some old school experience. Um, I really don't know, though. I mean, Mike Schilt's available. And Mike Schilt, I would not be shocked if he got a job. But there's another job available that he's probably also interviewing for. Because uh, with Bob Melvin leaving the A's, that leaves a hole there, too. So we go into the offseason with three openings. We hire two guys to new roles, and we still have two openings. So something with that math doesn't work out. But <laughs> but with the Melvin thing, that seems like the perfect hire for the Padres. Because Tingler kind of yeah. got knocked for not having any managerial experience before he took the job. Bob Melvin is as experienced as you would ever want from any manager and he's been extremely successful in his time with the A's um yeah I think that's going to be great for them agreed yeah Bob Melvin is uh I thought he was going to stay with the A's and I loved Bob Melvin with the A's I think he's won manager of the year a couple times hasn't he yeah yeah and it's well deserved because the A's don't put any money into their uh their roster really they're they're kind of the same way as the rays but less successful at developing players so they just get a hodgepodge of guys that are kind of just past their prime or uh, they do get some uh, young guys or they make a lot of trades and bob melvin has managed to figure it out pretty much every season yeah he does so a great job him going over matching with his teams and just he i think he gets the most out of all the rosters that he has so that's kind of what the Padres need because they have all the talent that you would want, like way more talent than the A's probably. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how he does with that kind of group. Yeah, same. Now, I do think that Jace Tingler got unfairly dinged for um, his team having so many injuries throughout the entire season uh, of this last year, at least. Um, but... At the same time, I do think that they made a great move in getting Bob Melvin, and I, I think that they'll be a lot better off in the long term with Bob Melvin than they would have been with Jay Stingler. So, let's see. Anything else on the managers, or shall we move on? Uh, one more thing on the manager. So, we didn't really talk about Marmola that much but he's obviously new to the managing game he's never really done it at any level right is that true or was he a manager in the minor leagues uh he i believe he was a manager in the minor leagues um but it was or he ended up getting promoted really quickly um to the the major league uh, big league club as a yeah uh let's see so he was uh drafted by the cardinals in 2007 he's incredibly young he's only 35 years old um let's see here uh he was the yeah he was the hitting coach of the gulf coast cardinals which is the rookie league uh in the gulf coast league um doesn't exist anymore it's now defunct with the um minor league reorg uh, then he was the manager of the Johnson City Cardinals in the Appalachian League. Uh, and then he managed the State College Spikes in the New York Penn League. 
Um, but regardless, he doesn't have that much. Uh, and then he managed managed. the Palm beach Cardinals, which is the low a team. And then for managing the low a team, he became first base coach, bench coach, and now manager. Yeah. So the, well, he's a complete wild card in terms of, um, like how he's going to do with kind of handling the the day-to-day pressures of being a major league manager. And from the perspective of like making decisions based on analytics and stuff, he he's clearly got to be aligned with what the front office wants to do. And I think he most likely will be. Yeah, so the reason that uh, he was promoted was in his role as bench coach with the Cardinals, he was the guy that was basically the liaison between the on-field coaching staff and the analytics department. So he's like the guy in the in the clubhouse that knows about the analytics side. Um, he's been trained... Uh, he, he was kind of in that secession of um, the... Uh, that, that Cardinals manager train where they all kind of uh, learned from George Kissel. Um, Mike Schilt got the book from George Kissel's son when Kissel died. Marmol got the book. So Marmol has been in the Cardinals like secession line as far as grooming him to be a manager. Um, I think where he's probably going to see a lot of uh, benefit is with them keeping the entire coaching staff together. They fired uh, the assistant hitting coach and then had to backfill his spot. That's the only changes to the coaching staff. Mike Maddox is still there for the pitchers. Jeff Albert, for better or worse, depending on if you're one of the Cardinals fans that thinks he's the the devil or one that thinks that he just hasn't really got a shot yet because Schilt didn't like him, he's still there. Um, Stubby Clapp has a lot of managerial um, experience, and he's there still. Um, so I, I think he's being put in the best position he can as a first time manager, uh, who hasn't really managed in the upper minors. So we'll see a uh, big question mark. I'm a little concerned, but also really excited to see how it goes. So, all right. Anything else on managers? Nope. All right, so now we've had, what, roughly three weeks of transactions from uh, options being picked up and declined, or did that really just start right after the World Series? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. There's no, like, moratorium on transactions. I think it just starts, like, right after the World Series ends. I'm not sure if that's a good thing, but that's just the way it works. Yeah, I mean, this year it probably pays off because December 2nd we could be in a lockout, so... Not a whole lot's going to get done then. So it's probably helping us have as close to a regular starting day next year. Uh, but yeah, we've started seeing options being picked up and declined. Um, some guys have been retiring. There's been a lot of uh, guys getting DFA'd to clear spots in the 40-man. Uh, the qualifying offers have been put out. So let's start with the options. Um, so there's been a lot of guys. Uh, I believe there were... 41 guys that had some kind of option, be it club, player, mutual, uh, opt-out built into their contract. 
you want to talk us through some of the notables that got declined? Uh, yeah, sure. So Kyle Seeger from the Mariners, he had a fairly uh, sizable option that was not picked up by Seattle. Uh, I think it was uh, a $20 million option, I think. Okay, yeah. So it was quite a, quite a bit of money. Um, Seeger's obviously a pretty good player, but kind of made sense that they were going to move on, even though he's been with the team for so long. Andrew McCutcheon was not picked up. He had an okay season. Seems like he's still got a little bit left in the tank, but he's definitely not anywhere near the player he used to be. Yeah, that one just kind of shocked me. I, I Mostly because I just didn't hear about it. I was reading through the transaction wire today trying to prepare for this, and he was the one name that popped up that I thought was still on the team. So... Um, a few outfielders uh, in Schwarber, Jock Peterson, and Avisail Garcia, they all declined their mutual options with their respective teams. So they're all going to be free agents. And, I mean, there's always a lot of guys on the free agent market like this. These kind of like corner outfield type guys that pretty good hitters, not really known for their defense that much. Um not the not the yeah. most difficult guys to find in free agency. Yeah, but also we're not surprised that those three declined their options. We pretty much knew that Schwarber and Peterson were. Um, Avisail was not really talked about, but when you look at the contract that he had for next year, if he would have uh, taken the option, he's definitely going to eclipse that in free agency. So not really a surprise at any of those. And then the one um, player opt-out was Nick Castellanos, who had an opt-out. Did he have an opt-out after his first season as well? Uh, I I think he might have, yeah. but because of the short season and everything. Yeah, and he I, also didn't have the best 2020 in. season, but he did have, I think, a career-best 2021 season, which made it an obvious decision to not pick up the remaining two years and $32 million on his deal. So he's going to be a free agent and he's going to be one of the most sought after um, outfielders out there. Yeah. And the interesting thing about him is, so he opted out. So the Reds then gave him a qualifying offer, which is one year, 18.4 mil. He turned that down as well. Also not surprising, but I think he's like the one guy that basically had like two or three uh, chances to stay with the same team and still is becoming a free agent. So, I just thought that was interesting. Um, yeah, so there were a lot of other guys that either declined their options um, or the club declined their options. More club more club option declines than mutuals or player option declines, And to be completely fair. Um, but that's not surprising. Uh, as far as options picked up, there was really only one that was... Not really notable, like we knew it was going to happen, but uh, the Cleveland Guardians, it is now officially the Guardians, they settled a lawsuit with the Roller Derby team, they're both going to use the name Guardians. Um, but yeah, the Cleveland Guardians picked up Jose Ramirez's club option for 2022. Um, I guess my question to you, Gowie, their payroll is incredibly low. 
they don't really seem to be uh, competitive this year, uh, at least as the roster stands right now um, in that division. What are their plans with JRAM? Like, he's on an incredibly team-friendly deal right now. Yep, so he's got what this are they, year what are on they the low, low club option, that, then basically the same club option again for 2023. So they could keep him. Basically, it's always three options, right? You either trade him, you keep him the whole way, or you extend him. And, I mean, the 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 Guardians just don't have a history of really doling out big money contracts. So it's hard to see them um, like agreeing to an extension that that's going to make sense for for Jose Ramirez, considering that he is one of the premier players, especially as a third baseman that plays great defense. Uh, he is like your five tool player essentially, and he, um, yeah, I I don't know like whether he's going to find anything really agreeable in terms of an extension with with the team and then that really leaves only one option i think for their team based on what they always do and that's trade their their star players for huge prospect hauls so i guess it's really a question whether they trade them this offseason or next offseason or, or sometime during the middle of the season yeah uh that's kind of what i was thinking too especially with them having another club option like they might try and roll with it this year, see what happens. Definitely are trading him next offseason to recoup some value. I'm kind of leaning which, towards them actually entertaining a lot of offers this offseason because they waited until the year before Lindor's contract was up, and they ended up getting what I would consider a bit of a lackluster return. Um, so maybe they, they don't want to risk that again, and they want to get as much value as they possibly can, and, and that would be in trading him this offseason. Well, and if I remember correctly, Lindor's um, Lindor's dollar figure uh, due to arbitration, or I don't remember if he had signed out or signed for the rest of his RB years at a certain value, but his contract was more money than J-Rams is now. Isn't J-Rams like six a year or it, something it's stupid It's like 13 low? million for the next two, each of the next two seasons i think still that's so ridiculously low yeah lindor was making Um, a lot more that season so even if they hold on to next year you would assume that they would get a better return on j ram but if they were to trade him this year they could pretty well jumpstart their next competitive window yeah so we'll see and i mean it would be really complicated, and there's no way for me to like uh, sit here and come up with the uh, the scenario off the top of my head. But if they could somehow get a three or four team trade with J Ram in there, where there's a lot of stuff going back to Cleveland, that they could swing it with the with how low his contract is and the fact that there's two years. If they they could get multiple teams in there and get a lot of good young pieces to kickstart that. I don't want to say rebuild because I don't think they're going to have to rebuild. They have a lot of good pieces in the minors. Their pitching staff is still great. Their lineup is just kind of not good. <laughs> yeah. So, 
but yeah, I think they could get back into being competitive pretty quickly uh, if they trade him this offseason. So. All right. What else happened this uh, last week and a half? What do you got? Um, well, the Cubs made a move. They picked up Wade Miley on waivers, which was, I thought, an encouraging sign as a Cubs fan and very discouraging if you're a Reds fan because they, instead of picking up his $10 million option, they just basically put him on waivers so they wouldn't have to pay his uh, $1 million buyout. How about that? And the Cubs that is the stupidest that. move ever. Yeah, and the Cubs uh, capitalized, and and now they have a second starting pitcher that they can actually pencil into their rotation behind Kyle Hendricks. So I mean, you got to start somewhere, and R- Wade Miley is a pretty solid pitcher. You kind of know what you're going to get with him. Yeah, he's uh, he's definitely not your number one, but he's always like floor number three starter. Yeah, exactly. And last year he threw a no hitter. So and. He's a big lefty in the in the rotation there too, so um, it's a great pickup for the Cubs there. Um, and the fact that they got him on waivers, what in the world is Cincinnati doing? Notice how I didn't drop an f bomb this time. And and five teams <laughs> uh, let him just pass through because the Cubs are I think sixth in the in the claim list. Yeah, what the heck? Like <laughs> it's a one million dollar buyout. One, his $10 million option, entirely reasonable. Yeah, we're going to get into some of these pitching deals, but $10 million for uh, a pitcher that's going to, you can pretty, barring injury, you know he's going to give you at least 140 to 150 innings at the minimum. Yeah, I was going to say, I'd pencil him in for a solid like 27 to 30 starts. Yeah, probably. Exactly. There's a lot and, of value in that. Like, we were forgetting how important just eating innings is when the Cubs have one starter that they can rely on uh, before they added Miley, which is, you know. Well, and his option was just barely over half of the qualifying offer. They're the in the Reds just the last couple of years. I don't understand it. They went from not really trying to compete, but having a couple of a couple of dudes. Um, in Joey Votto, uh, at the time, Eugenio Suarez. Uh, they had started putting together a bit of a rotation around Luis Castillo. Then they went all in for 2020, of all years. Got Castellanos. Uh, they had Sonny Gray, Trevor Bauer. A um, couple of these other guys. They had some big arms in the bullpen in Rysel Iglesias and Amir Garrett. And... It looked like this team was going to try and compete for the foreseeable future. Fast forward a year, Bauer's gone. Um, Eugenio Suarez falls off a cliff. So does Moustakas. Um, yeah, Moustakas. Um, Votto rebounded. That was great. Yeah. They had two great young rookies come up, and Jonathan India, who just won Rookie of the Year, uh, Tyler Stevenson, who looks like he's going to be their catcher of the future. And then now, Nick Castellanos opts out. Not surprising. And they just DFA Wade Miley? Like, this team waffles more than than the Waffle House cook. 
Yeah. Like it's a really and, it's a really bad. And this specific saying, transaction sorry. is clearly not something that is. It's not just a decision that that's being made by the the baseball operations people. This one's coming directly from the ownership, saying that hey, the, our payroll is this much, and it's very much lower than what it had been in the last two years. And he's not the only guy that they did that to. I mean, uh, we're gonna talk about a couple of uh, signings and trades here. Well, probably not trades. There's not really a whole lot that's happened. But they traded their catcher, Tucker Barnhart, um, to Detroit um, for uh, third base prospect Nick Quintana, who really hasn't been that big of a prospect. He hasn't really done all that well. He's just in the minor leagues. Um, But they traded Tucker mostly because of the money on his contract. Um. Like, yes, they do have Tyler Stevenson. They're kind of clearing a pathway there for him. But there are other ways to get Stevenson in that lineup, too. And Tucker is one of the better defensive catchers in the league. When he gave up switch hitting, his hitting kind of took off again. Uh, is, well, relative to his hitting before. Still not like an elite hitter by any means. But So they get rid of Barnhart. They get rid of Miley. Now their payroll is what twenty dollars, and it all goes to Joey Votto. Yeah, pretty much. We'll see if they but. continue with that and maybe trade Castillo and Sonny Gray. That would be that would be a big blow to the the Reds fans, and they'll be. I don't know. I don't see how they're going to be competitive this year. Yeah, I don't either. But no, if they get rid of both Barnhart and Castillo in the same off season. Those are the two fan favorites for uh, for Reds fans, and I, I say that as a guy who lives in Reds country. Like uh, Barnhart's not the best catcher in the league, but they love him. He's from Brownstown, uh, not Brownstown, Brownsburg, Indiana, which is just on the north uh, west side of Indianapolis. So this is a they love him. He's a local guy, and then Castillo has been here since he was a rookie. They love their players. It will destroy that fan base if they get rid of both in the same offseason because of money. So, uh, let's see here. Have the Reds done anything else stupid? I, I Did they DFA Amir Garrett? I don't think so. No. I, I think people were asking for him to get DFA'd because he had a really bad season this year. But um, for some reason that just crossed my mind here a minute ago. Uh, I mean, that's really the only waiver claim that was even remotely notable. There were, what, 12 players that changed teams on waivers this offseason so far. Most of them are, like, just barely claiming uh, a spot on the 26-man on the roster. So, uh, let's see, qualifying offers. What do you got? Yeah, so there was a ton of guys that got this offer for the $18.4 million for one year. Obviously, it really hurts. Um, it kind of hurts their markets because a lot of teams are kind of scared to take on the uh, additional loss of um, draft pick compensation and international pool money, so kind of hinders their their free agent markets if they end up declining some guys it doesn't matter at all so we'll get those guys out of the way first carlos correa freddie freeman uh robbie ray who just won the cy young 
Um, Eduardo Rodriguez has already signed. Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon, Trevor Story, and Nick Castellanos. Those guys all uh, were obviously going to reject the qualifying offer, and they all did. The deadline was today. And most of those guys, their their single season AAV is probably going to be higher than 18.4. There's a couple that I don't think will get that for an uh, average annual value, but they'll get a multi-year deal that's way better than having a single year at 18.4. So, yeah, yep. uh, let's just let's just talk about the remaining guys on this qualifying offer list, and uh, just go one by one here. So. The one guy that did accept the qualifying offer was Brandon Belt. And this one makes a lot of sense to me because he's 34. He has struggled with injuries a lot. And he's a first baseman. Inclu- There's not typically. Including a, the end of this last season. Yeah. With the injuries. Right. And there's typically not a, a super robust first base market. And he would be competing with guys like Rizzo, Freddie Freeman. Um, I think there's someone else out there, some other like relatively good first baseman but i mean he was not going to make 18.4 million over a multi-year contract no way and and the thing is with the qualifying offer like he's got that familiarity with the giants and he could easily agree to a multi-year deal with them even after having signed this qualifying offer now yeah i i was trying to see if i could find the other f first baseman free agents but for some reason i can't seem to find it um but yeah no that this one makes a ton of sense um just there there was really he's not going to get 18-4 i think if brandon belt were to be on the the open market especially this year he's looking somewhere around maybe 10 maybe and but I would see him probably getting more of like a two-year deal at less than 10, just based kind of the whole um, like Manny Pena type contract where it's like he's a good player. Everyone recognizes he's a good player, but he's not one of the elite players that's on the market right now. And so like he's not going to get the value that he probably deserves. I do think that his situation so. could be very similar to Jose Abreu's from last season. So Abreu agreed to the qualifying offer, and then he signed a three-year uh, contract after that. So I could see that happening for with Belt. He's definitely a starting caliber player. Yeah, ag- agreed. And yeah, Abreu, it took eight days between the time that he accepted his qualifying offer before he got his deal. Um, so, and and to be honest, Brandon Belt has been with the Giants for his entire career. And was he one of the guys that was in all three World Series, or was he just 12 and 14? Two. The last two. Okay. But yeah, but he's he's a staple in that lineup, and he's kind of one of those guys that I just would always imagine would be with that one team his entire career. Yeah. Um, and at 34 years old, it kind of seems like that's what he wants too. So, yeah, makes a ton of sense. But um, there are a couple other guys who... We weren't sure if they were going to accept or decline their qualifying offers that all ended up declining. Um, But in uh, the cases of Michael Conforto, Chris Taylor, and Rysel Iglesias, what are your thoughts on those three declining their Q 
kilos. So Conforto, it doesn't surprise me what happened because he has Scott Boris as an agent and Scott Boris guys usually like to test the open market. The thing with Conforto is that he he's coming off a really down season, like one of the worst seasons of his career. So I feel like this would have been a good chance for him to just take the 18.4 and then try again next year. He's not, he's not old. Um, and I, I fully expect him to have a bounce back season. So I think he's a guy that could potentially not get the contract he's really looking for and be one guy that like has to wait till right at the end of the off season before he actually signs a contract. Yeah, I, I could see that too. And I mean, he's, uh, I'm going to say this and I'm going to end up being wrong. So correct me like immediately. Conforto is an outfielder, yep. corner outfielder. Yep. And he's not one of the best corner outfielders on the market this year either. Cause we've already talked about guys that are joining the market here. And, uh, um, Kyle Schwarber, Jock Peterson, Avisile, uh, Adam Duvall is a free agent. Now I would say he's probably kind of along the same lines as Adam Duvall. It's kind of probably better. I, th- I think better, but like I would put him more with Duvall as far as his overall skill set than I would with a guy like Schwarber and Jock. So, I I, I would have accepted eighteen point four if I were in his shoes, but also I'm not a professional athlete and have no talent at all. So what do I know? Maybe he just wants to leave the Mets. I can't blame him for that. That's entirely plausible, actually. Yeah. Um, with everything that's going on there last season and this off season. Um, even the, wait, was he the one that was in the, uh, or was it JD Davis with, uh, Lindor and the whole, is it a rat or a raccoon thing? No, that was, uh, that was Jeff McNeil, right? McNeil, yeah. my bad. But yeah, there just doesn't really seem to be a whole lot of calm in the dugout there never or the is. front it's office. New York. In yeah, so I wouldn't be shocked if he was just trying to leave the Mets, but also I think it's probably more the Scott Boris thing. All right. Um, well, who's, yeah. who's the other guy you said, Iglesias and Taylor? Uh, Chris Taylor and Rysel Iglesias. So Taylor had an awesome season, everyone loves Chris Taylor now, so I think he's going to be a really popular free agent. And I mean, he should get a three, four year deal, I think, easily, yeah. I, I liken him to uh, when Kike hit the the market. Um, kind of that same type of guy where he was really good for a long time. People just kind of started to realize he was good in like his last year with the Dodgers. Um, I think Kike got a qualifying offer, if I remember right. Declined it. Ended up going to sign with the Red Sox. Or am I wrong? I doubt he got the qualifying offer because he, he signed for like a pretty low money deal like 14 million for two years or something gotcha but well my comparison stands he's kind of along that same line i think taylor is probably going to get a lot more value and he plays a lot more positions too so he fits pretty much every single team and i'm sure the dodgers would love to just re-sign him back so they, they easily could and the Dodgers have a lot of money that just came off the payroll this year, yep. so we'll see what they do. Um, and, uh, then, and then Rysel Iglesias was the last one. Yeah, so with these relief pitchers, 
it's always I kind of thought he was going to take this because 18.4 million for one year is like very very good money for a relief pitcher. I guess he thinks he can get a 3-year deal or something, but I good luck to him, I guess. Yeah. So kind of where I'm at here isn't like the even the top end relievers, don't they usually only get like 12 max per year? Uh, I mean, no. Some some like, of these like was top, top tier guys like I think Kimbrel's making like 16 million this year. Uh, Liam Hendricks is making like 16 million or something. So the top tier guys okay. make good money. This is even more than that or near the top of the the closer yeah. range. And then Yeah. But, and also, I think Rysel now is not quite as good as Liam Hendricks and uh, Craig Kimbrell when they got their deals. Granted, there's also inflation. Is right, in but here. the one thing about Iglesias is that he can make the case that he's the best free agent available as a relief pitcher this year. The only guy that has a case That's, against him is Kenley Jansen, and he's got um, a couple years on Iglesias, so maybe Iglesias is the most desirable free agent to sign. Yeah, that's that's true. I I hadn't thought about it from that perspective, but <laughs> but yeah, I I think I still probably would have taken that one year deal because he's young enough. He could definitely get a pretty good contract next year if he has a good season. So maybe he's worried that he's not going to have a good season next year, and he's like, I want that, security. That's a very legitimate concern for any relief pitcher. I feel like they should always have that. So maybe he's just saying, Hey, this is my probably my last chance to get a multi-year contract for the rest of my career. I, I got to take it I'm coming off a really good season. That could be, he's, he's what? 28, 29? Like 29 or so. Yeah. So yeah, it could be. Yeah. All right. So we have two other qualifying offers that got declined. Uh, Noah Syndergaard. Just talking about the qualifying offer. We'll get to the other part here in a minute. Yeah, Cinder. What are your thoughts on him? Dec- so Cindergard got twenty-one million, coming off a season where he pitched, I think, two games in twenty twenty-one, pitched no games in twenty twenty. Uh, for me, this one just seems like a major like overpay, and I don't really see the upside play in signing Cindergard for that much money. So he's being paid like an elite pitcher for one year and I get the whole there's only there there's no such thing as a bad one-year contract but what are you really expecting to get from Noah Syndergaard this season because he's not going to give you 200 innings I mean he might give you 125 like good innings but is that really worth 21 million dollars I don't know. Yeah, so uh well first of all the thing that you didn't mention there is he got that contract from the Angels. Oh yeah. Um so, yeah, so the Angels went and picked up Sandergaard one year, $21 million, after he declined an $18.4 million qualifying offer. Even before we get to the Angels uh, contract, I was a little bit shocked that he declined the qualifying offer based off coming off two years of not pitching 18.4 for one year where you have a prove-it deal. That's, a, that's exactly what the qualifying offer is for if you're a player. Um, so the fact that he declined it and found a better contract elsewhere, holy cow, good for him. I think he's a Boris client, if I remember right. 
I don't know. Which would explain a lot. Um, but then on the Angels side, I'm on the other side of the spectrum. I think this is a great deal for the Angels. It's a lot of money. Don't get me wrong, especially for a guy who came off two years of not pitching. But Thor did rehab last year, came back, had two starts. So it's not like he's going to be complete. He's going to have a lot of cobwebs still, but he's not going to be completely in the dark coming into the next year. We saw that his velocity was back up, um, which is a really good sign, especially for a guy that throws about 100. Um, I don't think his velocity he was back is, up. I think it was it was down in his was it. Two starts. I thought yeah. it was still like was I like, thought it was still at like ninety eight. It was like a couple miles down from where it usually is. And then the other That's thing fair, is, I don't know. He, I I think it's such a risk because the last time he actually pitched a full season in twenty nineteen, he was not even close to being what anyone would call an elite pitcher. I think his ERA was like mid fours uh he gave up the most runs in the national league i mean i don't i just don't see him having that great of a season this year so keep in mind my entire mindset is this is a great deal for the angels i'm not saying this is a great deal for any team so the angels have always run into the issue where if they signed a starting pitcher they were signing one of like the top third tier lower second tier starting pitchers to a multi-year deal usually two years that they kind of overpay him he ends up not being very good their ceiling isn't very high their floor is pretty low thor is the complete opposite of that they're signing him to a one-year deal meaning if he bombs or gets hurt they have no more uh ties to him after this year so right off the bat that's probably the best thing that the Angels have done signing a pitcher in years. Um, his upside is the highest upside of any pitcher they've signed in years. His floor is that he's not going to play any games. <laughs> yeah, so very which risky. is bad. And I, I it, kind of risky. disagree on the on the ceiling thing just for this season. I I agree he has a he has all star uh, upside, but for this season the contribution that you would expect him to give is not going to be worth it just because of the number of innings he's going to provide. Fair, but they also have an intense, insane need for pitching. And they really don't have the ability to be picky right now. So yeah, they paid a lot of money, but they had to pay him enough to lure him away from the Mets. So... If they were going to take a risk, they had to pay more than 18.4. He wasn't going to take it. He would have just stuck with the Mets. So at this point, I kind of think they had to. We've been saying for weeks that the Angels have to overpay for pitching this year. Uh, I think when we said that, we were thinking more along the lines of Scherzer or Verlander. Or Robbie Ray. but Or Robbie Ray. Or even Stroman. Um, what I want to know is what are the angels going to do from here? So they've, they've just spent 21 million on one starting pitching guy and they already have, you know, 150 million plus committed to players for this season without signing any other pitchers. So do they have more money to spend or what's, what's the deal here? I don't know. I would assume, yes, they have more money to spend. I, 
But do they my have the get, money to God. go get a Robbie Ray, or did they just kill that chance? See that I don't know. I I think if they if uh, Rysel Iglesias would have accepted the qualifying offer, then they would have been completely screwed because <laughs> they would have no more money. Um, but I do think they'll be up close to 200, 200 mil if they're trying to win this year. Which with Shohei at the uh, his kind of interviews recently, he uh, basically said that he was going through a depression because like they weren't playing meaningful baseball. He was just kind of there and sad and uh, and Mike Trout's coming back and they're wasting him. So Artie has to put money down to try and win this year. We've been saying that for years, and I think this year this is a sign to me that they're going to try that because they're at least going for a guy that has a high ceiling instead of going and signing like your uh, Alex Cobb. Yeah, true. So that's kind of where I stand with it. Um, and the one other qualifying offer that got declined was Justin Verlander, who is similar to Thor in that he did not pitch last year. Uh, he was, uh, rehabbing from Tommy John. Um, he ended up declining it and then signing a one year, $25 million deal with a 2023 player option with the Astros thoughts. Uh, amazing deal for Verlander. Love it for him. Like, 25 million after not having pitched the previous season like that you can't beat that really and he gets to do it with a winning ball club that he has a familiarity with like it's it's ideal for both sides i think yeah and he doesn't have to change pitching coaches or anything he's just going back into his because brent strong is not with the astros anymore he actually joined the diamondbacks oh awkward oh Interesting. Big move for the Diamondbacks. I just had two entirely different thoughts right there in a row, and you heard you heard the thoughts going through my head, didn't you? Huh. I like that. Um Yeah, I, I do think JV might I mean he's 39, so the chances that he's the same guy he was in 2019 are pretty slim. He's talented enough and he's um He's a generational pitcher. He, he very well could he's be got, incredible this year. I just thought of this today. Like he's giving me some like Tom Brady vibes. That yeah, he, pretty much. I mean, that's what I was about to say. Is like he's a generational player. Yeah, he kind of gives me Nolan Ryan if you're comparing him to a, a baseball guy, um, or Tom Brady vibes. Where just like granted, Tom Brady only missed six games getting suspended for Deflate Gate. He didn't really have a full season injury. But he kind of gives you that same air where he's going to come back and he's he's got the competitiveness and the uh, work ethic and drive and talent to put it all back together and be an elite talent in the league still. So I do think that the Astros are probably not going to regret this deal in the player option. I don't know what it is, but it's probably kind of on the smaller side, just in case something goes badly this year. It doesn't completely screw the Astros for next year as well. I would guess somewhere around 10 to 12 million on the player option. Um, giving him an opportunity to decline it and go get a contract somewhere else if he does really well. So just a hunch. Yep. So let's see. I think that wraps up qualifying offers. One, one more guy on the qualifying offer is Eduardo Rodriguez, who has already signed 
a big multi-year deal with the Tigers after he declined the, uh, the qualifying offer from the Red Sox. So what was it, five years, $77 million? Five years, 77 with incentives that could increase it to 580. Or 581, I think. But yeah, uh, I kind of think that might be an overpay. But at the same time, I don't entirely hate it. It's what, 15, 15.2 AAV? Yeah. So if we've it's, learned it's not anything like an from insane these, these early starting pitching uh, signings, is that they are they are all doing very well in Cindergard, Verlander, um, Eduardo Rodriguez, Andrew Heaney got himself a nice deal even after having a really bad season. So I don't know. Yeah, his was one year, eight and a half, uh, with incentives uh, depending on innings pitch, but I don't know what the incentives were. Um, Jose Barrios getting seven year, $131 million extension. Like he would have been a free agent next year, I believe, but the Blue Jays just decided he was their guy. They're locking him up. And at 131, that's not really uh prohibitive necessarily. I don't know what, what they're comfortable spending in a year. Uh, and they're about to have to start paying for, uh, Bo and Kevin and Vlad in um, uh, not free agency, the other thing. Arbitration. There we go. Uh, assuming arbitration stays. We'll figure out December 2nd. Well, one, if we're going to have a lockout. But if we don't have a lockout, we'll figure out then if we're still going to have an ARB system or how they're going to do that. It might go away. But yeah, so starting pitchers are doing great. Uh, there's been two relievers signed so far, or re-signed, I, I guess is probably the better way to phrase it. TJ McFarland signed back with the Cardinals for one year at $2.5 million, and Ulysse Chassin at one year, $1.25 million. Neither one of them is like a... Uh, they're, they're not generational relievers by any means. Uh, TJ McFarland was really good for the Cardinals last year. Um, actually, I think he started quite a bit for the Cardinals last year. Um, so one year, two and a half. I think that's a great, great deal for a guy of his caliber. So, um, And then final free agent signing, Manny Pena. So, yeah, so two years. The the Manny Pena thing was kind of like a head scratcher when I saw that happen, because he, because like what what are the Braves doing exactly here? They already have like a young catcher and William Contreras. Um, they've got Travis Darno uh, for a few more years, but then I thought about it and I looked at the the free agents that are catchers this year, and wow, it is a desolate group, man. There's some. There are no. There are no good free agents that are catchers available this year. So, the the Barnhart move by the Tigers. I love that move for the Tigers because they get that great defensive presence and a guy that can kind of hit at the league average level. And then um, the Braves get well. And I and I think he'll be a good clubhouse presence when they bring up guys like Torque and uh, a Riley Green sometime next year. So, yep. great guy to have around. 
And and then Pena so, is kind of like your ideal backup catcher. So um, if you're looking for a catcher, you're going to have a tough time or you need to trade for uh, Wilson Contreras. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens with Willie. I do think that they're probably going to try and trade him this offseason, but I'm not I don't know who's going to go after him. I, I haven't thought about it much. We'll have to talk about that here in a future week. Um, all right, so we're almost at an hour and 10 minutes, so I have exactly one more guy that I would like to ask you about, and then I think we call it a call it an episode. What do you think? Sure. John Gray. All right, John Gray is probably thrilled that he's a free agent and he doesn't have a qualifying offer attached to him, but from the Rockies' perspective – They've bungled this in every step along the way. So they they um, didn't trade him during the 2021 season at the, the trading deadline. Then they didn't um, prepare a contract extension offer until like the final few weeks of the season when there wasn't enough time to get the deal done. And then they didn't uh, give him the qualifying offer, so they won't get any pick compensation. So they're basically getting nothing from John Gray even though yeah and they don't get John Gray back to get another shot at it at trying to do it right next year right and so i it doesn't make sense um from from any point of view other than the rockies are just being cheap about it and they don't want to pay him 18.4 million dollars for one season but yeah which with the other free agents on the market i don't know if he would have got he wouldn't have got eighteen four as an AAV. I'm guessing he probably could have got a multi year deal that would have lured him away from that contract. But uh, with the other guys that have signed so far, I don't know if he would have been in this wave before the qualifying offer deadline. So he very well might have accepted it. Um, he's young enough that he could definitely have a one year qualifying offer at eighteen four, and then go and become a free agent next year and be one of uh, ideally and. Because you always bet on yourself if you're a, a pitcher. Um, ideally, be one of the uh, better guys on the market. Um, but he didn't have to make that decision. The Rockies did for him. I've said it before a lot. I'll say it again for a very long time. They are stupid. I don't think they've done a smart thing in the last... Uh, when did they draft Trevor Story? <laughs> But, yeah, so I really should have ended that on a happy note. Hmm. Well, I'll, oh, well. I'll, I'll throw this one out here before we go. Um, the next deadline after today's uh, qualifying offer deadline is Friday to keep an eye on, and that's the day that teams need to protect their minor league players by putting them on the 40-man roster, so watch out for that. Yep. So we'll talk about that uh, probably a little bit, not not as in-depth as we did today, um, but we'll probably touch on that in our next episode, which next week is Thanksgiving. I will be driving back home on Wednesday night, uh, so we will probably take next week off and come back here in two weeks on December 1st. December 1st. So uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh 
once again, uh, you can find our podcast on your favorite podcasting apps and YouTube. Make sure to subscribe so you don't uh, miss any future episodes. Let us know your thoughts through the YouTube comments or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by reaching out to us on Facebook or Twitter at Getaway Day Pod. Um, we are planning some pretty good stuff for this offseason, so we will be back uh, hopefully every week after after the holiday here, but throughout the holidays we'll be kind of hit or miss. So check out our Facebook and Twitter to know when we're going live. Uh, I think that wraps it up. So we will see you in two weeks.